Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger. And today, Lee Marie is joining me for our recap of the women's workshop for the MPC. We were in Orlando, Florida. It's hard to believe that it was less than a week ago. Um, We were there for less than 24 hours. (laughs) So we got in on Friday night last week and we, um, you know, the workshop went from like eight to five on Saturday and then we took a direct flight home. So Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks. So great to be back here again. And it was such a great time at the women's workshop. Yeah. I felt like there were so many good things, um, said, and there were a lot of breakout sessions this year, which apparently was a new thing. Sandy was just telling me, I was emailing her, um, feedback because she was asking for everybody that had attended to kind of give feedback. And she said that this was her first year of doing the breakout sessions. And I thought it was fabulous. Um, and I guess she decided to add that based on the feedback from the previous year. So this was both of our first NPC women's workshops, which was a very empowering event. So let's just kind of go through the activities throughout the day. Um, so we started in the main room with the pros for bikini, um, for posing and Attila, Itella, or how, do, how am I saying this? Is that Attila? Attila? Yeah, that's the American version. There's a better way of pronouncing it that sounds more eloquent in Brazilian, but we'll go with Attila for right now. Everybody knows uh, Tyler Manion's uh, future wife. So she had some really good tips and she had a bunch of pros on the stage. And I just wanted to kind of like highlight some of the things that I learned or nuances that I feel like are important. If she thinks they're important, then obviously we all need to pay attention to that. So um, are you okay with me starting there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then you can um, chime in like if I forget anything. So the main takeaways that I learned from her was just uh, I realized she has a really big pet peeve for flailing arms. So if you're watching on YouTube, it's like big Mr. Miyagi hands. And uh, (laughs) she's like, no, 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 you do not need to do this. She said minimal is better. Um, And then when she was in the back pose too, I think the arms, like she just really wants them straight and she shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't see fingertips. Your elbows shouldn't be chicken winged out. Your elbows shouldn't be pinched back. Everything should be streamlined and straight, almost as if you're just standing up and displaying your physique. And she mentioned also how rotating the toes out to make up for any like, you know, smaller muscles in your legs that you're trying to overcompensate. She said, you just need to grow it. You can't outpose that. So she said for bikini competitors, not to turn your toes out and try to get your quads or your legs to look bigger if they're actually not. And so she just kind of wants them neutral toe towards the back curtain. Um, those are my big ones. Not that they're anything new that people are probably not surprised about, but just I want to highlight what she felt like was important. Um, so that we could focus on that for the upcoming season. Yeah, I thought it was really cool how she made a point of posing like an athlete and having the mindset of you are being judged on your muscularity and not being over, overly 
dancey, sensual, like touching, a lot of touching, a lot of things like that. She was like, we don't want to see that as judges. We are looking at you as an athlete and we are judging you as an athlete. That's something that has been like, I've heard that said before, but yeah. it's been repeated and repeated and repeated. So obviously it's something that the judges don't want to see. They want us up there like athletes. They are seeing us like athletes. And that's something that I really respect about the NPC in and the IFBB as federations that they really do focus on. Yes, you are a bikini competitor, but you are an athlete on stage and we're judging you as an athlete. Yeah. And I think now, I mean, when I first started the sport, it was really almost over-sexualized or something, you know, where uh, I know in Indiana, my, our head judge was very, he would always have to like, you know, go over the coverage on the suit and like for you to not bend over and to act like a lady and things. And I just don't feel like you even, people don't even need to bring that up because it's not even in the forefront of their mind. So if you've never been to a competition and I always find like husbands or significant others of women that had never been, they, they have this thing like in their mind, like, Oh, this is going to be like my wife's like, you know, being like cat called and like, it's highly sexualized. It's not at all. It's so professional. It is so, and the more, you know, the sport gets, evolutionizes I feel like the more respect we get as athletes and we're recognized as such and I don't feel like those stereotypes are any longer because of the precedents that they set back in 2009 when the when bikini division you know arrived <laughs> I thought that was a really good point of being here at the workshop in general that was one of my takeaways actually was being with other fitness professionals in the industry of bodybuilding but then specifically around professionals in the bikini category and just hearing them talk about their sport in such a serious way as serious athletes and it just reinforced that to me because that's how I see myself but a, most of the world, 90% of the world, it's such a niche sport that they are not thinking about it as a sport. They don't categorize it like they might categorize soccer or football or gymnastics even. You know, it's probably the closest yeah. to something like that. But just being in this industry and seeing how it's growing and then hopefully how we can make it seem more legitimate and more recognized in the fitness industry was something I got from this. Record. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. Cause I remember talking to my endocrinologist and I, I said the phrase bikini athlete and he chuckled mm -hmm. and I'm like, why are you laughing? And he's like, well, that just sounds silly to have both those together. And I'm like, well, that's, that's what we are. You know, how we live and train and eat. <laughs> and yeah. We're athletes. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So a lot of the listeners from today, might have seen the live stream. So that was some of the stuff that was on the live stream, but the breakout sessions were not filmed. So let's get into our first breakout session that we attended together. Mm -hmm. So we attended the social media marketing breakout with Laura Lee Chapados and Ashley K, Ashley Kaltwasser. So what were some bullets that you have from that one? There were so many nuggets that I, I could make a list like a mile long, but yeah, what were some of your highlights? 
I think a lot of the same ones that you had, um, but a big one was to be consistent with your content. So mm-hmm. be consistent if you can't like set a realistic goal. If you can't post twice a day, post twice a week, but be consistent with your content. Mm-hmm. And then also be consistent with what you put out and stay true to yourself and your own brand. They talked a lot about getting endorsements, getting brands behind you, but also said never sacrifice who you are for a brand because, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if you have never gotten endorsement and your first contract looks really fun and exciting and you can't believe you're getting paid, you know, a few hundred dollars a month to post something, but really hold out for a brand that is true to who you are, that you actually really believe and want to represent. And then also... Mm -hmm. Laura Lee talked a lot about connecting with her followers, responding to them, you know, hearing what they wanted, checking, you know, which of her posts got the most engagement. And then I know Ashley talked about someone asked a question about burnout and she was going on and on about burnout and how to avoid that. And, but something that she said was even when you make a post, try and be around your phone for maybe, you know, half an hour afterwards, just to respond Mm -hmm. to some comments And I really loved that point that both of them made because they have to get thousands of comments or messages on their social medias in any given day or week. And for them to prioritize connecting with people, I thought was really uh, important to remember for us. I mean, I get, you know, maybe two messages or something, but to always have that heart for connecting with your audience. And I thought that was a really good representation of the sport and of, you know, themselves and their platforms. Yeah. Laura Lee, what she was saying was really resonating to me. uh, And it reminded me a lot of like the beginnings of this podcast where she was just saying how, you know, she didn't speak English very well and she kept, you know, kind of like redoing things and redoing them. And at, at a certain point she was just like, you know what, this is just me. I'm going to put it out there. It's going to be messy. You know, they might not be able to understand me that well, but she's like, I'm going to show up. And I think sometimes like she was saying too, that she hadn't owned a tripod until just recently. And she used to just prop her phone up at the gym. She doesn't have a fancy camera. Um, Very similar. Like for me, every single week, in order to do this podcast for the last five years, like if it would have taken me to learn, you know, editing skills. And I know like the audio hasn't always been the greatest on this podcast, but um, it's been a learning process. But I think if I wouldn't have just taken that step forward and just not cared that it was messy progress, but I just wanted to, the main goal is to get content out that would add value to like, originally it just started with just the community of, like my clients. And I just, I wanted a platform where I could, you know, you can only have so many individual conversations with athletes, but like, if there's so many topics that my athletes would need to hear all at once, then I can direct them to my podcast. Well, then it kind of grew in the fact that it was helping people outside of our community as well, which was awesome. Uh, But yeah, I just, I really resonated when she said that because I don't think I, I probably would have given up and I remember Naima um, Chu was talking with me about this. She's like, you know, if you would have had to have learned like editing, she's like, you might have given up a long time ago. And I'm like, you're totally right. Because just kind of that, you know, consistency and just putting it out there, that real, real raw content that 
is it edited? I mean, some of that stuff is the good stuff, you know, just because it comes from the heart. And, um, you know, if you have the right heart in terms of like, you just want to help people. And it like the main thing was that I wanted people to know what my mistakes were like throughout the industry, because I didn't want them to make the same ones because I've made so many along the way. So, um, yeah, that was where some of the ones that stood out to me. And I remember her saying like, she loves bombshell clothing and it's super easy for her to fulfill the obligation because she likes wearing their clothes and it's, she likes posting videos about her workout and she's wearing the clothes. So, um, kind of looking at those contracts, I think you kind of alluded to that as well, but just making sure that it's a realistic deliverable is the term that she used. Like look at the deliverables and make sure that they are ones that, that you can realistically do so that you're not overwhelmed. And yeah, I mean, I think those were the key points on that. I, they were saying, um, which I thought was interesting, like TikTok is kind of, Laura Lee was saying she's starting to do that one. Um, but obviously our big platforms for long-winded um, things like education would be like YouTube and podcasts. And then um, Instagram for our community is probably the, you know, those are the number one mm-hmm. or the top three there, but TikTok's coming in. It's sneaking around. <laughs> uh, I I haven't quite jumped in, but I'm Me neither. <laughs> Look up Glam Girl on TikTok. We're there. We <laughs> haven't taken the leap. <laughs> yeah. Lee Marie started our account this weekend, <laughs> this past weekend after that. I was very inspired. Yeah. I would love to hear your thoughts on the breakout session with the judges. I thought that was really, um, I loved that they had that breakout session. I wasn't there. I was at a different one, but I think getting, getting the judges side of things is the whole point. That's going to give us so many tips and tricks as athletes. Yes. So they had said, you know, anyone that's a judge come into this breakout session, even if you're interested in being a judge, just come by. And so, yeah, it was Sandy and Becky and then Mo and um, the other lady, I didn't know who she was, but uh, it was very interesting. And so the first thing that I thought that probably not many people know, because it just changed for this year, you have to apply and fill out an application. And this is the first time ever that if you want to be a judge, you have to ask like either your district chair or Sandy, you can um, get the form from them and fill it out. And two of those questions on there are, are you a prep coach? Are you an active athlete? So are you actively competing, whether that's as an amateur in the MPC or as a pro in the IFBB? And if you answer yes to either of those, you cannot be a judge until you are done either competing or you're done being a prep coach. So they recommended, you know, if your livelihood is dependent on you training athletes or if your primary job is opposing coach even, then you probably need to stick with that because they're like, you're not going to get rich by being a judge. Mm-hmm. You don't get paid very much. Um, most of the time that I've judged, you know, you kind of just break even, mm-hmm. but you're because by the time you pay for like travel and things. Sometimes they're covered by the promoter. Sometimes it's not, but you know, it's such a, it's such a position that it's, you're not going to get rich from it. You can't have that. Most people have that as their primary, um, or they have a primary job and that's like their hobby 
of sorts. And I mean, even Sandy, she was a full-time ICU nurse for years and years and she's now retired, but most judges have a full-time gig and that's kind of what they do on the side. So it was funny. She was talking about how she used to, the intensity of the ICU was so intense that the weekends like for the judging was kind of like her have fun time when it was like really small and, you know, a couple categories and, uh, she's like, no, it's kind of the opposite. She's like, it's pretty intense when you get to these national shows and like the Olympia and having all these athletes to make these decisions on, you know, people's well-being or livelihood for pros and things like that. So I thought that was interesting. Um, Becky made a point and we were kind of asking about like call outs and, and things like that. And Becky said, I promise you, I'm not trying to play mind games, but she said on first call outs, there's been a lot of like sad faces that I've seen when I know who my first place person is and I'll maybe move them to the middle or splitting the middle or, you know, whatever. And then I move them out to the outside. And that just means I'm done judging them. So, and both Sandy said the same thing. She was like, she said that a girl came up to her once and was like, well, I was standing in the second place position. And Sandy said, well, what's the second place position? <laughs> she's like I don't even know so she said it's more about just the call out is the call out and don't overthink you know where you get moved most of the time they try to do an even number so it's a surprise at the end that was another thing they were talking about and then I had asked the question because I've seen this in real time with my athletes where they place against a different competitor in a different spot like I've seen my clients move from like second to third or and flip-flop and they're the same people but they have a different placement and she said oh that's definitely the truth and she told us the story about how during masters nationals a guy that got six like i don't even think he was in the top five in his like 30 it would have been the 40 class right and then they go through all the 40s and then they go to the 35s he ended up winning his pro card and winning overall in 35 because his coach was like, no, 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 your posing's wrong. Like, you need to do this, this, and this. And he and Tyler looked at Sandy. He was like, wait, didn't we have him in six? Like, did we get this wrong? And she's like, no, they were po – he posed completely different. And so I think that's a testament to coaches and the value that – I think it's so important. Like, for me, whenever a pro card's on the line – I'm going to be there for an athlete. Like if they're going to nationals, you know, 90% of the time, unless there's some sort of, you know, thing that I cannot make it there, I will be there for them. And then that's why I do the team shows because you can make a lot of tweaks backstage. If you see an athlete come out and they're like true novice class, and then you can kind of change some things. I've seen that change the placement on certain people. Like just by pulling their elbow around or doing whatever, like there's so many little things that you can do and it, vice versa. Like if you can't go back there to talk to the athlete, which happened to me at the Ben Weeder, which was kind of annoying because they didn't let us like go in between classes to give feedback. Um, it really impacts. So not to get on a tangent, but any well, thoughts there on that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's really good to never – give up or lose your professionalism in the middle of the show between yeah. prejudging and finals between classes 
don't get too bummed and then just give up because first of all, that's not professional and yeah. you need to have integrity and you need to do your best. And even if you get dead last, you need to pose your heart out up there like your first, um, because that's just giving integrity to the sport. But also you never know, you never know when they're going to judge you again. So don't go and blow your diet or, you know, not care, not put in effort. Um, so that was, I thought that was really interesting that they could rejudge and that they do rejudge between classes. Which is a really good point because they actually said between prejudging and finals, there have been many times where they've switched the placement, especially if a pro card's on the line and you're like, you know, it's that first place position and that second place person, you know, if somebody blows their diet, they've switched it and they've made the correction. So it's very, very um, much a thing. And I've seen classes judge live. I've been on a panel of judging when classes have been rejudged. So it definitely happens. And um, I agree with you there. And I just wanted to go over to, cause I had asked them. Um, so some judges like myself that are a prep coach that I am an athlete that's competing. So we have been grandfathered in. Um, so since I, my first test judging was in 2013. So I've been grandfathered in, in that situation. And there's been times where I have an athlete in the show. We kind of talked about that in this discussion about how, you know, the head judge, I had to tell them ahead of time, like, which one was my competitor. And they said that you should be even going to the lengths of like leave physically leaving the table for the perception that there is not a bias on the judging panel. Um, in both cases, one was in Indiana, one was in Omaha, Nebraska for me. I actually put you know, they knew who my athlete was and that was kind of like my litmus test. So I placed them exactly where they needed to be. And especially in Indiana back in the day, like we would have been done if we wouldn't have done the right thing. That's like, that was like our test. <laughs> um, now it's a lot more just like, there's an actually mathematical, like you get certain scores and things like that. But I do think for the most part, like most judges are very ethical but they just want to eliminate because now, so before they didn't have as many judges, so they couldn't be as particular, but now there's like a greater pool of judges to pull from. So they can be a little bit more selective. Um, before it was hard to kind of get a judge that wasn't something in the industry other than just a judge, you know? Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. One of the IFBU pros actually mentioned she was like, it makes total sense that they wouldn't let an IFBB pro judge other IFBB pros because you can actually knock out your competition. So yeah, if they're your peer, I mean, they're going against you and another, you know, like those Olympia qualifications, that's a big deal. Yeah. So just to get that perception off the table or any doubt now that they're moving forward. So I thought, I just found that was like very, very interesting, that whole talk. Definitely. And again, too, back to the beginning where Sandy was saying most judges have full-time jobs. That just made me appreciate judges so much. Judges, promoters, expediters, they're not in this for the money. And they're doing so much work and putting in such long days for us athletes and it just reminded me to always thank a judge or an expediter whenever I see them and really appreciate their efforts. 
Yeah, I will tell you that when I was promoting in Indiana, we paid like $100 for the day. They have to sit there, not going to the bathroom, not eating. It's hard to be an athlete and to be a judge, I will tell you that. I remember the one time I was test judging and I had a waist trainer on and I had to go to the bathroom so bad. And it was horrendous. Like, I mean, you have to give them a lot of credit because that was that was a shorter show. You know, that was like a, a regional show. But think about these hours and hours where they spend at the table and they barely get breaks. I mean, I commend them. And then after doing that, then they stay around and give feedback, which is just shows what their heart is for the sport. So, okay. So the business roundtable, I believe, was next. Um, so there were a lot of really, like, cool people on that panel. And the biggest themes that I bulleted were um, just to persevere, that every single one of them had an up and a down time throughout their lives. They had many mistakes. But it's just, like, continuing to keep going forward. And I think – Jamie Day Bernard had a really cool like analogy because she comes from the corporate world of, you know, turning like a startup company into a big corporation and then found bodybuilding. And so she was she was uh, equivalenting it to a, a gallon of water, basically. So like the bigger her business gets. So if you think about a gallon of water, you know, as it fills up with water, then there's some holes at the top and it starts springing leaks. So I just, I think that, you know, kind of like pivoting is what she was saying, you know, as you expand, like you're going to find holes, quote unquote, in that bucket or whatever. Um, and you just have to like rethink and restructure. But the main theme that I picked up was just, you know, putting people first always mm -hmm. in front of the money and putting your passion in first and just basically investing every dollar you have, especially in the beginning, back into your business, which which is why I never paid myself the first two years that I was in business. I literally just plugged that money back in. You know, I bought a scanner. I would pay for like all of the travel because even if I had one athlete at a big show, it was a huge expense for me to do that. Um, you know, it cost more than just their whole package. But I would do it because I knew that that's what I needed to do. I needed to be at that show. I needed to be at the national shows. Like learning and seeing the shows and traveling and and just like investing my money back in rather than paying myself and just putting it back into my athletes to learn and grow in the sport. And I just um, – I mean Shannon Day was the one that was really kind of like chiming that one in and hammering that one home. Just kind of like as soon as you make money, like put it right back in. Um, I think Whitney Jones maybe was the one that mentioned doing just jobs for free, volunteering. Um, the galvanized lady might have said that too, just to volunteer at shows. Just ask how you can help. I mean, I will tell you, like, that is the way to go if you want to get in the industry and break that glass ceiling. I know for me, being the first female promoter in the state of Indiana, I was, you know, in any way that I could get involved, I was trying to help. And even after I moved away, I would travel back to Fort Wayne and pay my own way and everything and volunteer for free and help um, 
one of my other promoters in our city because it was the first show that I had done and it was what interested me in bodybuilding and I just wanted to keep giving back to the sport. So I just think the more involved you can be, you know, like the judging thing that was like, it started out as a volunteer thing, you know? And I think like, if you want to be an, helping out as an expediter or, you know, helping backstage, those are all great things. And those were some tips that they gave us. Any other things from the round table from business side of things that you remember? I think those were the big, the big ones that I took away as well. Okay. Um, any other things that we missed? So just one quick thing. I was in um, Celeste's workshop and she talked yeah. about, you know, mental health and um, body image as a competitor. And we just had her on the podcast. So I won't go in, in depth on that, but it was incredible. Yeah. Um, but she, I was actually talking with her and one other athlete after the workshop, and she had a conversation with this other athlete that really stuck with me. And it was actually one of my takeaways from the conference and it wasn't even in the workshop, but she yeah. was talking to this athlete. This athlete had a struggle that she was talking to Celeste about and Celeste first empathized with her, but then gave her several solutions. And this athlete that was talking to her, I just noticed that she was very closed off to those solutions. And she would always kind of just go back to, oh, but I, this doesn't work for me. Or I've tried that. Um, instead of, oh, wow, let me try that or being open. And it really, um, struck me how Celeste really does a good job of talking about growth mindset versus having a closed mindset and how, I mean, we can just take that in what any of these categories, you know, whether it's, we talked about social media, we talked about our, um, our industry being legit. We talked about like the judging and, you know, whether you're placed, how you want to be placed or think you shouldn't be placed or in business, all of those things to just remember to always have that growth mindset and not a closed mindset. So there's always a way it might not look like the way that you think it should look. It might take longer. You might feel more, but there's always a way if you want to succeed in this industry. And that was just a little thing that I picked up from that little conversation, but it, it related to everything in this workshop. And I just felt like the whole weekend just helped me remember to have that growth mindset and made me really excited to tackle my improvement season, tackle this prep and keep pushing not only as an athlete, but also to grow as a coach for my athletes as well. And that made this whole women's workshop worth it for me. So thank you, Amy, for bringing me along. And I'm just really excited to take what we've learned and tackle 2024. Yeah. And one other thing that just made me remember. Um, so Whitney Jones was like, meet at least 10 people, network with at least 10 people. And I remember you um, kind of helping me out because I wanted to make sure that we got some guests. So we we talked with a couple of different people there. And I remember you asked Janet, and I felt like that took a lot of courage. You asked Janet Liu to be on the show, and she said yes. And um, I was just kind of starstruck. So I felt like we kind of tag teamed there. But I think just not being afraid to ask people, the worst they can say is no, but half the time, you know, most of the time, nine times out of 10, they're probably going to want to share their knowledge of 
the sport and their experiences so that other people can maybe hopefully get helped through that knowledge as well. So I'm fingers crossed. I, I emailed Janet. So hopefully she'll get back with us and she'll be on the show because just talking to her for that little bit, I mean, there was a line of people waiting to talk with her and she took the time to just like completely make us feel like we were being heard and like she was really interested in um, the conversation and those kind of people are just so rare. And so I was so excited to have the opportunity to talk with her because I had never chatted with her and I really look up to her a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. I felt like that was that it was that way with all of the pros. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've seen girls myself. It took me like a good 15 minutes to go up to Ashley K and ask her. For <laughs> I know. I'm so scared. <laughs> never been I was so like, scared. just do it. Yeah, Amy was my hype girl. Um, but every single pro that you walked by, they they literally wanted to talk to you. They were happy to take pictures. I would be starstruck and they would start a conversation. And so they were absolutely wonderful. Sandy was amazing. Everyone yes. there amazing. Her making this workshop free. I mean, I know what it's like to put on a huge event like that. Putting on a bodybuilding show is it's a lot to coordinate. And I mean, that was a lot to coordinate. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she was able to get sponsors to cover the cost of that conference and that so many pros just gave up their time, like they just voluntarily, you know, they weren't getting paid to do those talks and things. And so it was just such a nice, refreshing, um, definitely filled my cup up. So hopefully you listeners got something out of that, um, that you maybe some nuggets from the workshop. Cause I know we did. And, um, if you would like to tag us on your story, we would love to hear that you had listened to the episode or whatever your takeaways are. So you can tag us at prep life podcast or at glam girl bikini, and you can find us on, um, YouTube as Lee Marie mentioned. So if you're listening or if you want to see our faces when we make our wild hand movements, um, <laughs> feel free to do so. But uh, as always, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review. If you haven't already, it just, we keep this ad free. So it's our way of, you know, helping out. And so if you found, found value in this podcast, please pass it on to another person that would mean the world to us. And if you would like to apply for your unicorn prep, at Glam Girl Bikini, you can go to glamgirlbikini.com and hit the get started button. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger, signing off with Coach Lee Marie Hassetter. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>